You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of the Elevator's Cut. I'm one of your hosts, Jason Wheeler. And I'm your other host, Roger Gaddis. And we have, um, you know, struggled at times to come up with content for this show. But this <laughs> this week is not one of those. This is right. This is practically it's it's manna from heaven today. And uh, and that manna's name is Scott Hardy. <laughs> so, Scott, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Um You've been able to uh, share some insight and stories with us in the past, and uh, we'll just continue that today. And uh, the kind of the the theme or the direction today is talking specifically uh, on the co-op side of the green business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Jason and and Jeff are uh, heading up a uh, co-op uh, leadership summit. That's right. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, coming up in August in St. Louis. And uh, so leading into that, you know, we wanted to, to um, kind of uh, get a feel for um, what people know about cooperatives and dealing with them and their boards and things like that nature. So who else better to share some insight with us than Scott Hardy? And uh, so that's that's what we're going to get into right now. Yeah. So, Scott, if you could give folks just a, a quick uh, overview of your background and and all that so they know where you're coming from when you talk about co-ops. Okay. So. I've got to, I can't let the mana thing slide. I appreciate that. The mana thing is, it's the perfect food, but it's spoiled after a day. So that's probably a good analogy of me. <laughs> so, so uh, as far as co-ops go, I spent 12 years working for SF Services in Little Rock, which kind of cut my teeth on co-ops. And uh, I will say, I never traded grain for a co-op, but I did. I was a ingredient buyer and I I moved my way through that organization to becoming a vice president, which I didn't want. It was the ultimate Peter principle. I got promoted to my level of incompetence and, and that incompetence didn't include grain merchandising and include basically um, logistics type of stuff. Uh, the outdoor stuff and you know it's like i couldn't identify a pe- uh, pellet mill when i was when i was a vice president <laughs> you know in charge in charge of all the mechanics for nine feed mills <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> that was that's a, that's one uh, thing that uh the co-op thing uh, i i got promoted i just continued it i think it was like what well, woody allen life is 90 percent showing up that's sort of, and of course, nowadays with the employment rate like it is, unfortunately, that's probably true in a lot of businesses, you know. Mm-hmm. But all that said, I at White Commercial, because I spent that time with the co-op, when we when we were trying to work with the co-op, oftentimes I got sent in that direction because I knew about co-ops. I actually, Mizzou runs a program. Jason, I think you know the name of this. I can't think of what the name is. The University of Missouri, Mizzou. It's the Graduate Institute for Cooperative Leadership, or GICL. G-I-C-L. Gickle, that's right. It's, yeah. 
I, I've been to that. I'm a graduate. So all right. I got to do that. So that I'm so, really glad yeah, I did. This, side note, uh Carrie, who is uh one of the directors there, she is speaking at our co-op summit. We'll talk about it later, but anyway. Good. That's a that's a it's a fantastic course. And I think you kind of have to work for a co-op and you know kind of get nominated to do it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. so, but so I did that. And then working with the white commercial, I got exposure to uh, co-ops because I was trying to close them or work with them as customers. And I got real familiar with with boards and that kind of how that kind of stuff works and how the wheels turn in a co-op. And they sort of get a bad rap, if you want to know the truth. But mm -hmm. being a co-op guy, I sort of and pro co-op, I guess. Yeah. But the philosophy is not really that good. It needs to be businesses don't work if they're not run by strong personalities and for a profit. So. Right. Which which applies to any type of thing. Co -op, well, absolutely. Yeah. Private either way. Yeah. 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 And there's nothing, to, nothing about being a co-op that says you don't do those things. It just sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Uh, but it should, right? The successful ones do that. And there are a lot of successful ones. Um, but anyways, over the years, we've seen, uh, I guess, seen all sorts of dynamics of, you know, board members and different motivations. And, and uh, well, Scott, you've obviously with your position, uh, especially with White Commercial, you've been in a lot of board meetings, as have I, over, over the years. And the, the I mean, all, all different types. So, you know, anything you say about well, co-op boards, you, you can't stereotype it too much because they're so, everyone's very different. Um, you, you got some similarities, don't get me wrong, but, um, but the, so they, they have a lot of similar struggles, but, but very different uh, philosophies and stuff that ends up happening within that dynamic. And then there's the political thing of, with the community and the, the GMs and, and, who's supposed to be doing what and all that. And some, some folks are really good and have it defined. Um, some are not, and mm -hmm. some have it defined improperly. <laughs> and so I, I've seen it, seen it all, but uh, over the years, what, what have you seen? I don't know, examples of, of folks that, that do it right versus, or folks that don't do it right. And uh, any interesting stories or experiences you've had with that? Yeah, one thing I'll say is my first experience with a co-op board was when I tried to get them to hire Roger out of call right out of college. No. And and bravo and, to you, sir. That was, <laughs> that's a sales job, right? There. So <laughs> I felt good about myself when they did do it, but then I had regrets. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I had no clue. I mean, that's one of those things that I, I learned. Not not from this experience, but in, you know, you do not go in and recommend somebody that you don't know that well. But mm -hmm. I knew Roger a little bit and I knew he was smart and I talked to his professors and they said he was smart. So I thought you said he knew that. him well. <laughs> okay, so, sorry. So, I can remember the day you still asked you like, would you like to find go? Would you like us to help you find a job? And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't even need to be asked. Yes, please. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, one thing I'll say that probably I was the most apprehensive about when we 
when they hired you than when I went down there and visit you. And now this is central Louisiana and this is LSU country. And of course, being in the Southeast Conference as a Razorback, I knew how the dynamics worked. I'm not so sure. I don't know how old you were. How old were you at that time? 22. 22. Maybe so you, 22, if you yeah. think about it, I, you know, I, when I walked in there and there's this gigantic ceramic hog sitting on your desk, <laughs> I sort of feel like this guy has no clue how this is. <laughs> I, I'm so, I, I still don't know. That your intuition you was correct. <laughs> I don't know how you didn't end up in the slough someplace. <laughs> yeah, you know, it never got stolen or broken. It was a, it was a wild deal. Yeah. <laughs> That was that took a lot of guts. But they also stuck me in the very back of the office, way back there. So you know, because they were like, Yeah, we'll let this guy can't be up seeing with customers until he figures something out. So the the one thing I will say about LSU fans is is uh I was uh hiking the Appalachian Trail and uh I had I was carrying a razorback shirt and I wore it that, that day and um uh, I climbed my first mountain of the day and there's a couple of guys sitting there with LSU shirts on. And, you know, I walked by them. They're going tiger bait, tiger bait, tiger bait, <laughs> you know, and I told Kathy, I said, there's just no shaking these people, you know, <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Do they smell but... like corn dogs or. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, back to co-ops, the, um, the co-op situation is, a strong manager and um, you, you pretty much need to have uh, the head, whoever it is that's the lead dog on the board, he needs to be supportive of that manager. I've seen so many co-ops get in trouble that where they shouldn't have because of personal dynamics not between board members, but between the lead dog on the board, who wasn't necessarily the board president, mm -hmm. but but the manager himself. So, and the other thing that I've saw, I've seen create problems is the influence of of uh, accountants and bankers. Those those people are necessary. But they really shouldn't be running your business, is my opinion. And, you know, there's things that make sense, but that your accountant and your banker will will probably be against, you know. And yeah. I could bring up examples. It's probably not worth the time. But anyway, those are things to think about. And, and, um, and so who you use as your as your accountant and your banker are extremely important. And, and those people understanding the dynamics of merchandising is huge. And that's one thing that I think that white commercial, like maybe I shouldn't plug this, but white commercial brings to the table is they can educate those people, the accountants and bankers. And have done not just in cases of co-ops, you know, but the co-op dynamic is a little different. So I think that's real important. Yeah. And the, the one thing I've seen over the over the years, I just thinking about when you're talking is like 
I guess, strength of, of, um, decision-making in, uh, between the GM and the board. So, so like a lot of GMs are very strong and say they figured out, they, they tell the board, this is what we're going to do. This is a thing. And, and I don't know, I hate to say like bully, but like they're, they're very strong, dominant, you know, and say, this is what we're going to do. And, and, and all that. Then you got others that are like, well, I can't do that. I'll have to ask the board, like with every little thing. And I don't even know. Sometimes the board really is has a couple of real dominant guys on it that are like, you better do this, this, that check with us. You can't do anything. And, and maybe that's why guys are like that. But then so a, a lot of times I see guys, like, I got to check with the board. And then I go to the, we go to the board and the board's like, what are you going to do? Like, I, you know, nobody's really dominant. So I've seen all, all those. So in your experience, what's the, the best, uh, recipe there worst recipe what what do you think well in a nutshell it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right so but i mean you know sort of the board the board uh manager though the manager that has that attitude is probably more successful comes in and says hey we did this you know and we need it rubber stamped you know type of thing <laughs> so anyway that that's a small piece of advice there. The, Is it kind of like a? It's because then it it leads to just kind of a management by committee, and nobody wants to make a decision. It's like you just need somebody that's going to say this is what we should do. Right? It, yeah. It give me a reason not it, to, or else we're I, doing it. I think that's called leadership. Yeah, they got to have leadership. Yeah. I, you know, I I just read a book on public education, and the I mean, it was a. It was a long book, but anyway, the guy at the, the end of the book, he said, I'm going to give you the solution to public education. So all that said, I was like motivated here. I'm going to tell you what the solution to how, how to be a leader in a co-op. This is what I did. It works. I've tried it. Wow. This is how you become a leader. You get you a big dry erase board and you put it behind your desk. And you write on it big ideas. I'm not joking now. I'm, I'm serious. You put big ideas. And then you you put ideas on there that you'd like to see happen. But that that's going to take some compromise maybe to do. I'll give you an example in a second here. But anyway, and then what you do, you you put the idea board up there. And whatever you do, don't you ever talk to anybody about anything you ever wrote on that board until they want till they want to bring it up as a solution to something. You know, we've got a solution. And anyway, I'll give you an example. I was uh, I was in a in the feed business with SS services and and I finally got an office instead of a cubicle. And first thing I did was I put a big marker board up there and wrote big ideas on it. And the first thing I wrote on the board was sell all the trucks. <laughs> so, so anyway, <laughs> I mean, we, were, it was, we were just bleeding on trucks. Um, mm -hmm. I think most people can see, you know, say that when they own trucks, it's hard to make a money. It's hard to make money with trucks and especially hard to make money with hauling feed around. Even even the poultry companies, you never see a poultry company with their name on the truck. It's always J.B. Hunt or somebody out there that's they've contracted to haul it. 
let let the people that are good at what they're doing. That that's my point. So I put I put sell all the trucks and never said anything about selling truck one truck to anybody ever. And my boss, who is kind of like the GM of the department type of thing, he comes in and sits down in a chair and you can just tell he's morphed into this demon and he's just getting madder and madder. And, <laughs> and I'm like, Joe, why did you walk in here? You know? And he's a, he finally just sits there and he has to put his cup down. He's visibly shook. He puts his cup down on the desk and he says, he says, there's no way in hell we're going to sell the drugs. <laughs> and I said, I said, who who said anything about selling truck? Well, you wrote it on the board. So, you know, at that point, <laughs> and the one thing you got to be careful on is your label. Now, you're the guy that wants to get rid of the trucks. You're labeled <laughs> if you do this. So, but anyway, what do you think happened? We, we began to contract the trucks out, sell them. And, you know, we kept the strategic ones. And ultimately, after three or four years, mission accomplished. And I never said anything. Don't ever tell anybody you want to do something. Just put the idea out there, the idea board. Oh, I tried to, I've thought about doing it with my wife around the house here, but it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, that, this is a good tip for uh, just, you know, people should put that up in their elevator. Yeah. You know, don't just post prices like you should be selling it. Yeah. Right. And write in whatever today's price is. Yeah. Big, big idea board. No, no storage or price later ever in our elevator. That's exactly right. Stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. Like, wait, what? Prepare. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the dream, dream you, big. You have to plant the idea in people's minds. And if you're, you know, if it's really good salesmanship, you, you um, think, make them think it was their idea eventually, you know. Yeah, I just wrote that up. I mean, it doesn't. Right. I was just trying to dream big, you know. I, I, I like to be aspirational. That's what we talk about on this <laughs> podcast, Dead Gamut. Yeah. Aspirational. It it's a uh, it's powerful. It works. But you know the the relationship. Any any business is as you know you could argue is as successful or as good or as strong as its relationships and you know the dynamic when it comes to the co-op boards is just you have that many more relationships that have to be managed on the idea of an of a you know say even standing if you will um but let, like you alluded to earlier scott there's obviously different you know stronger and weaker personalities when you get any group of people around let yeah. alone people around a board table and uh, one of the things i remember my big takeaways from my short stand in the co-op was um Find out pretty quick the difference between what people will will say or talk about outside of the boardroom and what happens inside the boardroom. Mm -hmm. This is a night and day difference. And the quicker you can figure that out, the, the better off you are, you know, as far as, you know, if you're a manager or something or trying to trying to get stuff, uh, relationships, you know, how do they line up? Well, mm -hmm. you know, we'd all like to say, well, we'll get the same relationship with everybody. Well, that's that's not true. You know, it's it's not you you respect everybody and everything, but as far as the relationships go, it just you click with more some people more than others. Um, but it's definitely an interesting thing to witness inside and outside boardroom type of things. Yeah, you it's kind of like a Baptist church. Don't get emotion on the floor, it'll get 
passed, you know, make sure you got what you want before you go into the board because it's liable to get passed, you know, type of thing. Right. The, the, the other thing is board members, you know, are better board members if they're not self-serving. And uh, I always tell the, tell the um, story that I went in and to a board meeting one time to try to convince them to do their brokerage with white commercial and they didn't they didn't even have a futures account and the manager really didn't was doing me a favor by letting me talk to the board and he didn't really want a futures account either anyway that was just kind of weird and uh he just didn't understand you know? mm-hmm. so so anyway all that said i began to talk to the board about being able to all the things that the co-op could bring to them and the marketing tools it could offer them that they weren't getting offered and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't really talk about the benefits that the co-op would get, the more money they can make and those kind of things. Basically, just that group of farmers sitting there and talk to them about that. And I had a PowerPoint presentation that you know, it was all about the co-op. And basically I was just talking off the cuff about their marketing. And they, I, as I started into my co-op thing, they, they said there was, they said that we don't care about the co-op. We just want to vote. We just want to vote. And I'm like, what? We just want to vote. We just want to vote. We just want to do this. We want to do this. Can you go out of the room? So I went out of the room for 15 minutes stood in the parking lot and it was at a restaurant and anyway, stood in the parking lot and came back in and they said, Hey, we're white commercial customers. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yeah, but you don't know why, you know, (laughs) shut up and take my money. (laughs) I I, I just think, I think there are, there's, there's a lot of people. I think CoBank tries to educate board members on how to be a good board member. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really important. So right. huge. And, you know, part of it too, I think is just the idea. I mean, no one's born knowing how to be a board member of a co-op. And no. then, but I think there's an idea, especially a lot of the smaller mid-sized co-ops, you know, they, they may struggle to get people to even run for the board. So you get people on there mm-hmm. and they have no idea what they're supposed to be doing. No one, there's probably a, not a, an onboarding process other than, Hey, come to the first one and brush up on your Robert's rules of order. Maybe, yeah. you know, so it's not, it's not their fault, but it's just this idea of, I should know how to do this. I'm an adult, but yeah. no one, there's no training, you know? So it's, and there's maybe not a, a good way for new board members to reach out and ask for help and stuff, or they don't want to. And again, this is not a farmer thing. This is a human thing. And I think that just kind of perpetuates. And after a few meetings, you're like, well, yeah, I got the hang of it now. And then off you go. And whether you got it or not, I don't know. But I think there's a lot of that. uh, Expectations are just, uh, I don't think, match up real well at a lot of times when stuff comes on. Scott, let me ask you this. I I know we all know, like, you know, the uh, mergers and and all that could all that stuff consolidation and and is especially a thing amongst co-ops. I was talking to somebody the other day and they said when they started, which was, you know, in the eighties, I think there was 400 and some odd co-ops in the state of Iowa. And I think 
uh, as of this year, it was like 42 now um, in, in the state of Iowa or something like that. So, I mean, we, and we've seen a lot of that all over the case. What do you think it is that leads to, uh, to some, cause a lot of, I, I've seen a lot of times I go to co-ops that, that do end up selling out or merging into a larger co-op that are not having problems. The facilities are in great shape. They've been maintained well. They get very strong financial, you know, balance sheets at times. This is not always the case, of course, but but I've I've seen those and those still go in and you know will will go get merged off and and everything. In your experience, like what what do you see as the main driver of that sort of thing? You know, in the in the old days, the little co-ops kind of got put together because the lender, which basically was CoBank and those time farm credit system, kind of wanted to to do business with $25 million co-ops, you know, but mm -hmm. that's nothing now, but that, that was in the old days. Yeah. The, there might be something certainly to saving money, you know, but I don't, I don't know, you know, you shouldn't run a business with excessive amounts of people. Like Mr. White used to say that a lot of co-ops have enough people around for their busiest day. <laughs> so so yeah. so uh but i mean nowadays the way the employment is it doesn't really happen but i i just think that that there's some kind of there's a little bit of fallacy about the critical mass thing be it employees or there's certainly from a financial standpoint you might be able to get financing at a bigger level but a lot of people are just looking to pawn off their jobs you know they can't find a manager. Mm -hmm. We know of a yeah. couple of situations where they can't even find a manager, you know. Yeah. That's yeah. why we need to that's where our mission is is to train guys that want to be right. Managed. Yeah. And I, I think of like what the pie in the sky, the aspirational, you know, goal of co-ops and why they came to be is a, a big part of it is is local community ownership and being involved in the community. And the more and more you see these get consolidated, get bigger and bigger. Now all of a sudden, you know, okay, yeah, it's still a co-op and it's still here in town, but headquarters is a four and a half hour drive away. Right. And is my money really staying locally at that point, you know, and everything. So, I mean, that's, that's a thing people, the, you know, don't, don't love it. It's uh, a <laughs> Mr. White. Another thing he used to say is, you know, co-ops are, they're like dogs, you know, you just, they're going to break your heart. You just know it. That's right, that's right. <laughs> they're going to break your heart, but you know, you love them and you sign up for it anyway. But um, anyways, yeah, that's. I, I was involved in a co-op merger one time and it was, it was, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. It was a culture. The culture was unbelievable. Like after years and years of surviving it, it was it was completely like them and us, you know, and somehow people have to let that go. You know, the culture is really hard to change or. Yeah. 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 The, my story on that merger is I. I was terrified when it happened. And. Um, so I I got in my car we were in little rock and they were in jackson mississippi and 
So I got in my car and drove to Jackson without telling anybody. I took a vacation day and I sat down with my soon to be boss. I told him, I said, you know, I've got a family. I have no intention of getting fired. Anything you want me to do, if it involves moving to Mississippi, so be it, you know. And that made all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. He he kept, he fired everybody I was working with in Little Rock and kept me. Wow. That's pretty good intuition <laughs> there. The, you just got to kind of have that as an employee in a merger, you kind of have to have that can-do attitude. I will be there. I'll be loyal. Yeah. And I think a lot of times you see, you know, the, there's a concern of maybe losing a title or something like that or the yeah. threat of it. And then mm, boy, yeah. people hang a lot, a lot of hat on that title. And if it is threatened. What yeah. Like who's going to be the vice out? president? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or the, the other thing is co co-position. Those don't work either. <sighs> Somebody know? has to be the leader. They do not. I can assure you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I guess one of the, I don't know if we should, we should talk about it. It's, sure you should. But um, I call it patronage. Roger calls it patronage. Do you have any <laughs> philosophies of that? What's you your should, philosophy? You should reinvest it all into the co-op. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> don't even say the word. <laughs> yeah. Don't even have it. Yeah. <laughs> put a motion okay. on the books that we'll pay patronage at this level and that it all gets re all the profits or whatever you want to call them gets shared that, that's into a, the capital expenditure that's funny that goes back to like the the board members and and what hat are are they wearing when they're in the boardroom you know they're supposed to be making decisions best for the co-op and you know making a reasonable return to the capital investment and yada, yada, all that stuff. And, uh, but a lot of times it ends up being, well, you know, how could I help myself with this position? I have, I should be able to help myself. Uh, people in Washington do that all the time too. I, I hear, but anyways, um, yeah. So the, the patronage thing can come sometimes becomes a big, a big sticking point there. It's like, ah, we, we don't need to reinvent the stuff's working. It hasn't fallen over yet. Let's pay out them. Let's pay it out there, right? You know. So, I just have one question to ask: How many co-op patrons have you met? This guy, he doesn't, he doesn't appreciate my uh, what pronunciation. I'm just saying, I, I've met lots of co-op patrons. I've never met a so, co-op patron. There's other sure. words for this, in there? There's like savings. They call it savings. Non-retained earnings. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyways, yeah, I, that's, uh, that, that's patron, there's patronage. There's a bunch of different philosophies on that. Um, but anyways, I, yeah, I, I tend to, I tend to like your, your philosophy there. Uh, I see merit others, but I, I will say kind of get to towards the end here, I guess. And we are going to do a lot of the stuff we talked about in the episode today. We're going to do a meeting on, we'd like to get co-op folks in the room. Oh, we got several signed up, but uh, it's a cooperative leadership summit. We're going to be doing it over in St. Louis, first week of August and uh, August 8th. So I guess technically that's the first day of the second week of August. Anyways, August 8th in St. Louis. And we're going to be talking about decisiveness, uh, roles of the co-op boards, roles of the GMs, um, 
talk about financial statements, what a board should be looking at in those and, and all that. And patronage, as Roger says, we'll be talking about that. Thank you. Um, and we'll talk about, yeah, cultures at co-ops, how to build them, how to maintain them, uh, building your own culture. And then uh, we'll talk about mergers and expansion projects and, and how people go about that. So it, it'll be a lot of sharing of of what we've seen over the years and then people in the room that have done it um, over the years that that will be doing. But the huge, huge thing, and we, we talked about it, is the decisiveness and who's making the decisions and can you make them quickly as it, you know, as a business, you need to be a little nimble and uh, we'll have Phil loose there talking about that. He's, he kind of specializes in that um, stream ownership. Yeah. And, and being, being decisive, which is, I mean, uh, honestly, if, if I could boil it down, I had to pick only one thing that could, you know, save a business or improve a business, you know, the most is probably that, you know, so. Uh, I would have said profit. But... <laughs> well, you got to decide to make a profit, <laughs> which sometimes can be a problem with the cooperative, <laughs> so they say. But anyways, he'll be there. But, and I mentioned earlier, Carrie, uh, Carrie Jacob, she's the executive director. I said she's one of the directors. She's the executive director of that uh, Graduate Institute for Cooperative Leadership at Mizzou, uh, University of Missouri. So she's really good. She does tons of trainings for boards, uh, for, you know, GMs, you name it, uh, on on all this stuff and, and how to effectively run a co-op and and the priorities you should have and, and all that sort of thing. So she's excellent. I've heard her speak uh, before. So and and very well versed in this stuff been doing it a long time helping co her 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 passion is for helping co-ops so she's you know like a lot of us we like to see them do well and stay independent and all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. so uh anyways well sorry sorry to ramble too much there but anyway i would if i, I would like to to see you there anybody who um you know runs a co-op be it gm board members uh if, if you're listening or if hey, you go to a co-op and think this would be helpful to uh, your local co-op, let those guys know. Uh, we'd love to to see them there and talk. It's going to be yeah. a pretty cool day. I know we got lots of farmers, uh, producers that listen to this. So if you have any thoughts that this could help uh, your board members or something, let them know. Or you personally think, yeah, you know, they, they've asked me to go be a board member before, but I've been putting it off or maybe I'm about to start as a board member. I've just started as a board member, you know, maybe that's something you want to look into, or maybe you've been a more board member a while and would like to, to hear Talk other people's other thoughts folks, on stuff yeah. that, that, uh, that are in other people in your similar scenarios yeah. and, and talking about things. Yeah, I will say, and that's, that's one thing people say about white commercial meetings is they're surprised how open people are. Uh, so, so come on, uh, spend some time with us and you will, all the stuff you think nobody would actually talk about amongst other people, they talk about it at our meetings. So the there's no gorillas in the room or whatever. Is it 800 pounds? Is it a gorilla? Is that I don't know elephants the, I don't in the know corners? There's sorry. a lot of heavy things happen and not. But at white commercial meetings, they just we just say it uh, as it's like this podcast. We say a lot of things we probably shouldn't. So I don't go. even know what you're saying right now. <laughs> I mean. If you listen to the Blackberry episode, you know it's uh it's all good. It all makes sense. Right, Scott? Right. So if if there's any co-ops that want to train merchandisers and they need to get up with me, I've got that. 
merchandising support merchandising skill building program. That's right. And we talked about that a lot at the end of the last episode, but yeah, it's ASCapply.org. And Scott does some really cool stuff. It's a foundation, so it's all like paid for and it's starts in December. So go to that website and apply to get in the program, but it's going to, it'll take somebody uh, newish to the concepts. They don't have to be young, uh, you know, or anything, it, just mm-hmm. wanting to get into the merchandising side of things. And I think condenses, you know, a few years of experience into four or five months and uh, does a really good job with it. Makes you some great connections in the industry and stuff. So for sure, um yeah, reach, reach out to us, uh, you know, as always, any any way you'd like to, but ASCapply.org and check out that skill building program. It's pretty cool. And Scott runs it all. So um, it's a good deal. All right. Well, Scott, thanks again for joining us as always. It's a pleasure to have you on and sharing insights and uh, hope we uh, run into you here one of these days soon. I enjoyed it. Thanks. As always, thanks for downloading and listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with folks you know in the business. And if you'd like to reach out anytime about anything at all or have any show ideas, you can always find us on Twitter at Elevators Cut. Follow us there, tweet at us, DM us, and we'll always respond. Till next time, for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevators Cut. Oh.